So if you don't know me, my name's Evan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors down here. You guys ready? Let's pray, and then we're just going to hit the ground running. God, right now we acknowledge that you are real. That is why we are here, that you made everything, and we want what you can only bring. Make that happen. We open up our minds to you right now. Amen. All right, so last week, Chris finished our walkthrough through the Ten Commandments. In the next several weeks, we're going to finish this series by looking at what happened next for the Israelites. You know, I've been telling you this for months, and I'll continue to say it as long as I'm able to teach the Bible. One of the most important things to do to understand the Bible is to understand the context well. Instead of simply grabbing a verse and using it however you think it should be used, it is crucial to consider the context from which it came. The Bible is not just 1,500 pages of really good random one-liners. It is a detailed story of the ways that the God of the universe stepped into a broken world in order to redeem it. Therefore, to best understand it, we must read it, all of it, not just the one verse you get every morning from your devotional app. You know, almost everyone knows about the Exodus, specifically the parting of the Red Sea and when God gave Charleston Heston the Ten Commandments, right? But very few know what happened next. To whet your appetite a little bit, remember that the Israelites were an extremely large community of slaves that had known nothing but bondage for over 400 years. They were then quickly led out of captivity in a very miraculous fashion into the middle of a desert where an extremely powerful God descended on the mountain in the middle of their camp. From this place, he gave them instructions on how best to live individually as well as how best to form their nation. During this year at Mount Sinai, Two million plus generational slaves were being transformed into a nation. Now, I know this can sound like a beautiful thing, which it was, but redefining a person and their view on life and how they should live takes time. Imagine how slow and painful a process this must have been to transform a couple of million people who knew nothing but serving a cruel master and bowing to their capricious and selfish gods. But this is exactly what God wanted to happen. He wanted to give them a new identity and then show them specific ways that they could live so that way they could experience better lives. Throughout the entire Exodus story, God is transforming the Israelites from slaves to his children. You know, God starts by proving his existence and his position as the king of the universe. He then gives them direct instructions on how he created them to live. Boiled down, the Ten Commandments can be summed up as you need to love God with everything you got and you need to love other people the way that you want to be loved. You know, this part of the story can be quickly summed up as their salvation. God stepped into their despair, saves them from something that they could never have saved themselves from, and then gives them hope of a better life by showing them the best ways to live. Let me show you a Bible verse that kind of highlights this. Exodus 19. We've looked at it multiple times. This is God speaking to them before he gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. And so it's this idea that God said, I rescued you to make you my own, but also I want to use you. Right? There's reason why I rescued you. You know, one of the most beautiful things about humanity is that regardless of when you live, every person has universal experiences. 
One of these is our need to be saved. Whether your spiritual bondage takes the form of physical, emotional, relational, or mental, each of us have been in a place or many places where we were chained to an inescapable force until our Redeemer stepped in. In this community, there are so many incredible stories of the ways that God has brought freedom and restoration. Some are big, a lot are small, almost to the point of being unnoticeable. But each one is proof that God is real and that he desires to interact directly with our brokenness. You know, Matt shared his last week, week and a half ago. You know, as most of you know, I want to hear more and more of your stories. They are testimonies of God's reality, his power, and his love, and they can bring encouragement and insight to others, just like the Exodus. But in order for this to happen, you must be willing to share it. And it's so simple. Sit in front of a camera and talk to it for two to three minutes, telling them one of your stories. That's it. By doing it, you are openly declaring your belief in God and helping others to see his reality. If the Spirit is at all encouraging you to do this, like it was for Matt, please come and talk to me or Derek. Now, because I have the microphone, once again, I guess I need to share another one from my life. And this is one that I really don't share often at all. But I'm doing so. So that way you can better understand who I am and why, at times, I may become a bumbling idiot in the middle of a sermon, like I did two weeks ago. You know, almost, five, almost five years ago, I was rock climbing in Colorado Springs. As I was being lowered off of a climb that was taller than I thought, my rope ran out and slipped out of my, belay, my belayer's device, causing me to free fall for about 30 feet. You know, fortunately, or better, sa better said, God willingly, my partner was able to soften my fall, but I still suffered some major pumps, specifically one to the back of my head. To make a long and traumatic story short, I was rushed to the hospital and put into a drug-induced coma. My wife was told that I may survive, but I would most likely be a vegetable. She then signed a form allowing them to remove half of my skull in order to fight against the swelling of my brain. Before they cut me open, they thought, let's take him off the drugs to see how he responds. According to the neurologist, what happened next was miraculous. Much to the disbelief of the medical professionals, they were able to release me from the ICU shortly after and then from the hospital a few days later. I was then admitted into a brain rehab facility in Denver called Craig's, where I spent about three weeks meeting with all different types of therapists who were working to bring my brain back to a somewhat normal place so that way I could somehow continue to live my life. This is one of my salvation experiences, a story that I can declare that shows the reality of God and his desire to bring restoration to a world that we broke. But for anyone that God saves, this is not the end of his plan. I firmly believe that God saves us for more reasons than just experiencing less hardship and ending up in heaven. It is also so that he can accomplish specific things through us in the time that he's given. One of my favorite verses since then, I show it all the time, Ephesians 2.10. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Think about that. It's talking about you. You are what he made you, specifically engineered and designed to be who you are, because he has specific intentions to use you to bring about his overall plan to save humanity. You know, I want to look back at the Israelites 
and how God did this for them, the way that he leads them into their way of life. So we're going to be in Numbers. How many of you have never read Numbers? Come on, most of you. All right, Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each of their ancestral tribes, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So after God had rescued the Israelites and then spent some time forming them into a nation, he calls them out of the wilderness and into the land of Canaan, also known as the promised land, what he had told Abraham he would give to him. Like we saw in Exodus 19, he has a plan to use them as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. I imagine we're going to talk a lot more about that in two weeks. But it means that from their new land, they will be evidence that their God is real and all-powerful and that he desires to graciously love on all people regardless of their nationality. Let me show you a map. So this is the promised land, land of Canaan, now known as Israel. The Mediterranean Sea is on the right-hand side. That uh, tannish area is the Arabian Desert. And so you can see those um, lines going through. Those are major trade routes. Because of the desert to the east, no one can go that route, so everyone must channel through the promised land. That's why God's putting his people there, so that way they can be a light to the nations. People will come through and see how good they have it, and they can point them to their God. What's incredible, though, is that they won't only be used by God for other people, they will also be extravagantly blessed by him. So let's read a little bit more of the spies' report from Numbers 13. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Harmath. They went up into the Negev and to the Hebron and Ahima, Shishai, and Talmai. The Anakonites were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they also came to the Wadi Skull and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. Picture how big those grapes must have been. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called Wadi Eshkol because the cluster that the Israelites cut down was from there. Is there one more? And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness at Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. <clears throat> the task that God set before the Israelites was by no means, excuse me, skipped ahead. The land that God gave to them is, but, is set up for a good life, right? It should be a very easy choice. Because of the rivers and the seasonal rainfall, the open pastures and the rocky hills and valleys, it's a place that can both provide for them and protect them against their enemies, you know? In this next verse, we should be seeing the people responding with joy and running into the promised land. Let's see how they fall. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the de descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Go ahead and keep rolling. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are of great size. They, there we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And the, all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt? Oh, would that have we died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. That says so much about the human tendencies in our psyche. Think about what Egypt was for them. Right? Utter slavery. And out of this fear that they're experiencing, they're just like saying, we don't need what God wants. Let's go back to what we know. You know, the task that God set before the Israelites was by no means easy. The Anak and the Nephilim were great, great, great grandparents of Aaron Costello. Right? Most likely, Goliath came from this family. The other nations that were listed off were well-established with large fortified cities and well-equipped armies. The Israelites, on the other hand, were a nation of wanderers. They were sleeping in tents and had not been trained to fight. In many ways, their response of fear is logical. In their mind, to march into a place with the intention of conquering, it would lead to destruction. But this is what God had called them to do. Now it's time to ask the most important question when studying the Bible. Why? Why didn't God simply wipe out the Canaanites the way that he did the Egyptians and usher his people into the promised land? You know, for me and my story, just because God saved my life doesn't mean that he fully restored my brain. Even though I was miraculously pulled out of an inescapable bondage, my brain was not in a place to be a good husband, a good father, a business owner, let alone a pastor of a small church. Like the Israelites, I was free, but still had a long, hard road ahead of me. Nine months or so prior to my brain injury, I had been asked by Steve Balsley, who used to be the former pastor of Rimrock, to be a quasi-pastor of the group of 30 or 40 of us that met down here on Saturday nights. We had a loosely assembled teaching team, but I still had to teach two to three times a month. I was also running a few small groups and figuring out how to really run an up-and-coming church. And this was a major driving force in my life, something that I felt like God was calling me to do. But after the knock to my noggin, I was in no place at all to do this. For the first year, every day I had to take a two to three hour nap in the middle of the day after sleeping a solid 10 hours each night. My brain would be completely worn out after talking with somebody for 30 minutes. I tried to limit that to once a week or scrolling through Facebook for 10 minutes. Right? That does a lot more to your brain than you know. Also, my memory was shot, especially when it comes to people's names. You know, after a week, after a week, a week after I got home from the Brain Institute, Steve and I were hanging out and he brought up the idea of me sharing this story downtown. You know, after some time thinking and praying about it, I thought, man, this is what I should do in order to bring God glory. There's so many people praying for me during that time. You know, it was nearly impossible for me to prep. I still remember I had three bullet points with just a couple scribbly lines underneath. 
In comparison to my prep work now, I was like 1% ready to do this. And I was in no position to talk straight for 30 to 45 minutes. But I felt like it was what God wanted me to do, so I decided to step forward. You know, after sharing my story, which went far better than I could have ever imagined, I felt God prompting me that I should continue in my role of a leader within this community. I asked God a lot if this was from him, like, really? And I just remember hearing over and over this resounding yes. Once again, it's time for that question, why? Why would God ask a man with such a scrambled brain to take on a serious role in in building a church and teaching the Bible? And please know I'm not exaggerating how rough of a spot I was in. On sleeping 12 hours a day and having a terrible memory, I was also struggling to think deeply, and I would much more easily react out of intense emotions of anger and pride. You want to hear any stories? Ask my wife. Why didn't God instantly heal my brain or allow me to be a pool boy at the cabins that we own? Why did God both call both the Israelites and myself to do things that made no rational sense. Like I mentioned before, we all, all of humanity has common experiences. One of these, another one, is the way that God asks us to do things that we do not want to do or do not believe that we can. Things that cause our emotions to twirl in our minds to say, what the? You know, for you guys, this could be forgiving someone inviting a coworker to church, giving money to someone on the street, staying married even though you don't want to. It could be selling your house and moving into a camper. It could be quitting your job and starting your own business. It could be having yet another baby, right? It could be leaving a thriving ministry that you've grown after 15 years to move into the barren wastelands of South Dakota to do it again, right? I could go on and on with examples from things that you have been put through, that God has laid before you. The ways that God has prompted people within this community to step out into the unknown, away from what is comfortable. Again, why does he do this? Why does he lead us away from the easy and into the scary? I think it's a real simple answer. Because he wants us to trust him. You know, according to Google, trust is defined firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Feel free to leave that up there for a little bit so they can reflect on that. It seems that this is what God wants most with his relationship, in his relationship with his creation. That we firmly believe that he is the king of everything, that he wants only the best things for us, and he has the ability and power to make it happen. The fact that he is reliable, true, has the ability and strength to do what he says he will do. Now, in order for this trust to be gained, things must get difficult so that whomever or whatever we are counting on can then prove themselves trustworthy. And there's so many analogies in the parenting realm for this. Right? Think about your kid jumping off the edge of the pool into your arms or riding the bike for the first time without training wheels. They have to fully depend on you and trust that you will catch them. If you've done any of those high ropes courses out at like Alpine Slide, that area, you have to trust that things are going to hold you in place. And it's not until you step off that you can gain the trust that it will happen. You know, this is the reason why God led the Israelites into a land full of large, angry men. So that way they would be forced to trust him. 
This is, why, this is what I believe why God led me to continue as a pastor. So that way I would be forced to trust him. I believe this is why God has been speaking to you in the ways that he has, because he wants you to trust him more. You know, and as I've been pondering this idea of trust, it seems like two fundamental things naturally come from us fully depending on God. First, he receives the glory. Second, we are slowly transformed into more of who we are made to be. So let's look at he receives the glory. Now, when the Israelites did finally follow God's leading into the promised land 40 years later, God received so much glory for what happened. Think about what the other nations thought of when they heard the walls of Jericho crumbling at the shout of the people and the trumpets. My goodness, how else could you define that? Or what the other nations thought when they heard about large hailstones falling from heaven, killing more of Israelites' enemies than they did by sword. Or the fact that the sun stopped halfway in the sky, so that way the Israelites had time to fully defeat the Amorites. There is no other way to explain what happened other than a God that was more powerful than their own had stepped in and brought this nation of slaves victory. You know, my story doesn't come anywhere close to the Israelites taking the, bra- taking the promised land. But my brain is now, in comparison to five, four, three, two, one, even six months ago, it's at such a better spot now than it was back then. And it makes no sense to me. My ability to think deeply has returned. I can have long conversations for hours. My nap time has been reduced to like 15 minutes a day. Come on. Right? I'm actually somewhat quick enough to be witty to make my wife giggle like 50% of the time, but I'm working towards like 75%. You know, I have the ability to do far more than I ever expected I could, and it has nothing to do with me. I did not engineer my brain to continue to regenerate itself for up to seven years after a traumatic injury. I did nothing to earn a wife that has been steadfast in her love and support even when her husband had completely changed. I did nothing to, be surrounded, to earn being surrounded by people of this community that have encouraged and supported me from the beginning. And then look at our church. This beautiful community has nothing to do with me. Even with a leader that must fully rely on his notes and only remembers your name after the third or fourth time of meeting you, right? people are continually drawn here by God to be a part of this family. And the people that he is bringing are fully capable to do so much for the kingdom. You are all not in a spot where you need or want to be dependent upon a holier-than-thou preacher that has the ability to make you tingle. God is building this community with extremely capable individuals that have a hunger to know him more and to be used by him individually to bring change into our worlds. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the subpar pastor at the helm. It is the maker of everything bringing about his plan in our lives. You know, the other thing that trust brings about is being slowly transformed. You know, one of the other things that I see from stepping out in faith and trusting God instead of my own logic and emotion, it allows us, the one choosing to trust, to be transformed. With the Israelites, remember that God was creating a nation. In order for this to happen, they had to grow out of the mindset and tendencies that come from being generational slaves. 
That means generation after generation after generation only knew bondage. For this growth to take place, they had to live as if they were rescued by an all-powerful God who had plans to use them to change a broken world. Instead of simply doing everything for them, God gave them ways to be actively involved so that they could be transformed into the people that he created them to be. Purpose is something we all long to have. And out of God-given purpose, we find true meaning for our lives. Here's another analogy for us parents. Think about your kid when they're just first learning to walk. What could you do instead of watching them tumble around, fall over, cry, pick them up, comfort, doing it all over and over again? What else could you have done? Pick them up and take them wherever they want to go. And we could carry our kids around anywhere. But we don't. Why? So that way they can learn how to do things on their own and receive the benefits that come from that. And I'm running out of time, so I'll be quick. Because God didn't fully heal my brain and called me to continue to lead a church, I have grown far more than ever before any of the other 34 whatever years prior to this happening. By having to walk through really trying times in order to do what God has asked me to do, I have learned so much. Maybe someday I'll have a sermon entitled Lessons Learned from a TBI or I'll write a book or something. But right now, in a condensed form, I am genuinely grateful that God allowed me to fall and that he didn't instantly heal me. Because of what he allowed me to go through and continues to allow me to go through, I am more content now than ever before. I love my wife and my kids more than I did, and I'm also more grateful for the simple things like having breath in my lungs and being given another day. And when a person willingly steps out in the uncomfortable following their creator, God will use it to make their life better. His plans is not only to use you to love those people around you, it's also to slowly transform you and recreate, recreate you into a better you. But it's crucial to know that we are always given a choice. Just like the Israelites, God lays options before us. Because of his immense love for us, he always honors our free will and allows us to choose. As we read earlier, the Israelites chose to trust fear of the unknown instead of putting their faith in God. Because of this, an entire generation missed out on the beauty of the promised land. We'll look at that more next week. But as you think through the choice that God gives you, look at the way that Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies, responded to the opportunity. Numbers 13, thank you. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of whatever, who were among those who had spread out the land, <laughs> tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, the land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. Hear this, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Man, I heavily encourage you to go back to this. All right, this is Numbers 13 and 14, Numbers 14, 6 through 9, that last one. Meditate on this. 
has direct application to your life. And both of these men, they were willing to charge into the land because they knew the God who was with them. They didn't talk about the size of their army or the different plans that they had devised in terms of strategy. They were fully confident because they were fully confident in God, the one who had rescued them from Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, and fully provided for them in the Sinai Desert. When you are given an opportunity to step out in faith, remind yourself of all of the ways that God has been good to you in the past. He will continue to do the same in the days that lie ahead. Man, I wish I could end with that powerful statement. But I got one more thing I'm supposed to share. Just because you choose to trust God and do whatever he is calling you to do, it doesn't mean that it will be perfect or even easy as it flows out. If you read through Joshua, Judges, or the Samuels, you'll see endless scary situations that they were putting that were put in front of them. Just because they obeyed God initially doesn't mean that everything was peaches and cream to follow. You know, I've discovered the same thing in many different ways. But there is one thing I need to share now. As my brain has been beautifully healing, allowing me to return slowly to a normal state, I've started having partial seizures. This is what happened two weeks ago in the middle of my sermon. Due to scar tissue in my temporal lobe, Randomly, my brain can misfire. For about two minutes, I'm overwhelmed by really intense emotions and have no other option other than to sit quietly or try to speak and sound like a complete idiot because words are just firing out randomly. You know, I just want to let you know this happened. This has happened dozens and dozens of times, maybe even a hundred times. It's just something that I've been dealing with for the past two and a half years. And in terms of different types of seizures, I'm grateful that I experience what I experience. You know, I don't stop speaking and stare blankly mid-sentence at the wall for like three minutes. I don't pee my pants. I don't fall on the ground and start shaking uncontrollably, right? And so of all the seizures, it's like, heck yeah, it makes me I feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride for like two minutes. It's like, yes, I might sound like an idiot, but far worse things could happen. But as a teacher a man who's given a microphone and a platform, this can bring me emotionally and mentally to my knees. Because I have no clue if it's going to happen and have no control when it's going to happen. Because of this, I'm once again forced to trust God. Instead of being able to return to my confident and self-reliant tendencies, which are strong within me, I have no other choice to trust that whatever God allows to happen is what is best. You know, I've been able to relate a lot more with Paul and what he said in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from being too elated. Three times I've appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, and I am strong. Because of what my, my seizures are forcing me to do, fully depend on God, I'm starting very slowly, but I'm starting to be grateful that they happen. 
I'm feeling my heart starting to embrace them as a gift from God. Now, I tell you this for two reasons. First, to let you know what I struggle with. I'm a part of this community, and I'm given a position up front often, and so it's important for you to know who I am and what I struggle with. And I want you to know it's not that big of a deal physiologically. You don't have to worry about me and my mental or physical health. It can be annoying, and we're figuring out how to combat this. But apart from that, don't worry about it. The second reason, though, is I want to encourage you that as you step into the uncomfortable and continue to experience hardships, just know that by no means this means that you are doing something wrong or that God has left you. Rather, God is still with you, and he has the ability to, do, to bring good things for you, right? for those who love him that are called according to his purpose. No matter how hard things can seem, he can and he will use them to accomplish his will for your life and for those around you. You want to end with David. Psalms 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take the light in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Let's worship God through song.